There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action today is Jamie Smith, the executive director of the Young Nonprofit Professionals Network. Welcome, Jamie. Hi, George. Hi, Centauri. It's great to be chatting with you both today. Yeah, it's, we're, we're, we're excited to have you on and excited to learn about you and your organization and to also get a pretty clear picture of what it's like to work with Centauri because I believe that he's associated <laughs> with with your organization so it is a dream Centauri is I mean I've known Centauri for a long time actually longer than we I mean we've worked together actually in a variety of ways uh Centauri's been a chapter leader with the Young Nonprofit Professionals Network for a long time and and now is one of the members of our national board okay and And it's been awful just just kidding well perfect well, so Jamie, we'd love to love to learn about your career path and how you found yourself the executive director. Yes, that's a great question. And I think I always find it really interesting to hear about other people's career paths. But I will give the disclaimer about mine, which is it's only in hindsight uh, that it feels like a path, right? It's only in hindsight that I can say, oh, this is how I got from this point to this point, And this was the trajectory. And these are the common themes. Because while I was living it, while I was, you know, in the early stages of my career in my 20s, it, it felt very, it didn't feel like there was a path. It just felt like moving from, you know, kind of one step to another and, you know, doing the best that I can, making the best career decisions that I could. Um, but, you know, and, and kind of trying to stumble towards finding that combination of things that is the things that I'm good at, the things that people will pay me to do and the things that give, you know, my life meaning in the form of work. So I, have known since I was a little kid that I wanted to do some kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, make the world better kinds of work. Um, I thought for a long time that I would work in government or work in uh, public interest law, doing things that would help right wrongs. And so I knew from a very early age that I was interested in what I now know is a social change or a social impact career, but I didn't really have terminology for that. I didn't know, you know, or conceive of the nonprofit sector as the kind of place or even as a thing and a place where that kind of work is done. I just knew what I knew from popular culture or different types of careers, very specific jobs where you could make change. So I ended up going to college for public policy, thinking that I would go on to go to law school and to pursue that career in either government or in public interest law. And after college, I ended up working in a law firm to get some experience and to take a little bit of time off from school while thinking about going to law school and realized while I was working at that law firm that the legal profession wasn't... I didn't think going to be the right field for me. It felt very high pressure. This was also around the time of the recession 
when the bottom sort of dropped out of the legal field and you were reading articles every week about how hard it was for a lot of attorneys to find work, the amount of debt that they graduated school with. And so it was for a variety of reasons that I sort of moved away from the legal field as a career and ended up starting to do a lot of writing and communications work. Uh, one other thing that I'll share about my career path that I think is common or that I know is common to a lot of folks of my generation, the millennial generation, is that I spent, I've spent a lot of time unemployed or underemployed. Uh, I was laid off from my first job after college and so started pursuing the writing and communications work on a freelance basis. And that's actually what led me to sort of the next step in my career, which was kind of combining that interest in the law and in legal work with the communications work that I had been doing, and I began working for a legal aid organization. And this was really my first kind of entry into the nonprofit sector, uh, such as it is, and doing the kind of work that was the work that I'd always longed to do, social change work, helping to make the world a better place, helping to ease the burdens and address inequalities in the world. And that was sort of my entry into the nonprofit sector. And from there, I uh, ended up actually leaving the nonprofit sector shortly after finding it because I was encountering what a lot of people encounter in the nonprofit sector, which is while I loved the mission of the organization and the work, I wasn't being paid enough for it to really be sustainable. There weren't necessarily a lot of opportunities for advancement in my organization, and I wasn't really getting the opportunities for growth that I would hope for and that, that make me feel really excited about the work that I do. And so I left to go work in a technology organization for a few years, um, but ended up coming back to the nonprofit sector and finding YNPN. Uh, I found YNPN, uh, the Young Nonprofit Professionals Network, first as a member. I joined because of those challenges that I was experiencing in the nonprofit sector and because I knew that this was the kind of work that I wanted to do. And I wanted to build a network of, of people who felt similarly, both for professional reasons, you know, to find out about opportunities and jobs, but also because I was looking for a group of people who felt similarly dedicated to doing this kind of work. And I definitely found all of those things at YNPN. Uh, I first started at YNPN in a fellowship role. We have a fellowship program for kind of entry and mid-level professionals in the nonprofit sector to help them develop their skills and to learn more about nonprofit leadership and management. And so I started with YNPN as a fellow and then was hired on full-time, the conclusion of my fellowship. And... Uh, since then, I've had a variety of roles within the organization. I'm very lucky that YNPN has an organizational culture where we invest in and develop the people who are on our staff and, and do our best to help them grow, whether that's into a position with more responsibility and opportunity at YNPN or whether that's in a position with a different organization that's a fit that helps them, you know, find the work that is that combination of things they're good at and, and things that give them meaning. And so I've now been in the executive director role uh, or a similar role. I was co-executive director uh, with a colleague, Amber Cruz Mooring, for a year. And I've been sole executive director now for two years. 
Um, and so, as I said, it's only kind of in hindsight that I've been able to look back and see, you know, what the trajectory is from knowing that I always wanted to do a social change career to trying a few different ways <laughs> to do that, to finding myself uh, in YNPN first as a member, kind of someone who was part of the organization and, and enjoyed a lot of the benefits and connection that came from it, and then moving into a staff role with this organization. Well, I don't know too many people. First off, thank you so much for sharing that. I don't know too many people who have their career in a straight line. Those who do, I am very envious of. <laughs> I, do. I know, you know, I just, you just never know. And and when you're in in school and growing up, you you, you have an idea of what you want, but then once you get into the real world, those kind of ideas change. But it's awesome that that you've been able to navigate through some some tough times in our economy and in some difficult fields and find yourself in a a leadership position with a really important organization. So I think that's awesome. Um, So two years as the executive director, normally we will ask people what the three biggest things that they've learned over the past three years is, but maybe two years would be more appropriate. But what are the three biggest things that, 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 that you've learned over the past couple of years? Yeah, I think this is such a fun question. I really enjoyed uh, getting to like sit down and think about this. And I think, you know, one of the biggest lessons that I've had to learn as my professional life has become, you know, more demanding, or I would say has required a lot of growth from me as a person. I often tell the fellows that I work with that there will be a stage in your career where it'll be less important what how well you do some of your technical skills and professional development will become you know uh not just developing your skills but becoming a better person (laughs) in order to become a better professional and i feel like in the last couple of years that's sort of the the place that i've been in my career that a lot of the work that i do in terms of like professional development or thinking about how to be more successful or how to be a better leader is is a lot of self-work um, and, and just figuring out like how to, uh, this sounds very new agey and, and hippie, but like how to be a better human being <laughs> navigating the world with other human beings. And so I'd say that's actually one of the, the biggest things that I've sort of, uh, come to grips with over the last couple of years is that like, I'm a human with human limitations. <laughs> I think we often, uh, you know, we often, see people who are very successful or highly productive or, you know, at least I had the idea that to be highly productive, I had to be almost like a machine, Mm -hmm. you know, constantly productive, operating at maximum efficiency, no time for anything frivolous or that wasn't helping me achieve my goals. And, you know, that's not how humans work. That's not how we operate. And I think it was uh, running into some tough times in work, but also that my friends started to have children. And, you know, they would talk about like, yeah, we've got to feed the kids at a certain time. We've got to get them to bed at a certain time. Otherwise, you know, the day is ruined because we haven't given them the things that their little bodies need. We haven't nourished them in the ways to be. And, you know, it just got me thinking about like when, you know, that's actually true for me too, even though I'm in my thirties, <laughs> when did, you know, when did I start to think that, um, you know, I didn't have some of those same constraints or needs for, you know, movement and nourishing food and, you know, rest and things that replenish my spirit. So I'd say that's a big, that's been a big lesson for me over the last couple of years is just reminding myself that like, I'm a human animal that needs like care and <laughs> <laughs> just no like 
Yeah. Uh, just like little kiddos do sometimes. Um, I think another, you know, kind of lesson that I've taken away from some of the like challenges and, and really wonderful things that we've done with YNPN is how hard it is to do change work. Uh, you know, we often think a lot about some of the technical solutions to change work, for example, like what specifically needs to be different or what policies we need to change or what what we need to build. And what I found is that it's actually the change management work, the less technical pieces, the adaptive pieces, the relationship pieces, uh, helping people get on board with change and then helping them successfully navigate change that are the most challenging pieces of the work, but also the most fulfilling. And so I would say that one of the lessons that I've taken away from some of the change efforts that I've been a part of at YNPN is uh, that you'll always hear more from the people who are critical of the things you're trying to do than you'll usually hear from your supporters. Hmm. Um, You know, folks who are against a change or who feel strongly, particularly in a negative way, tend to be more vocal. And uh, we were in the midst of making some big changes to our organizational structure at YNPN a few years ago, changes that helped make our network more connected and more effective. And uh, if we just listened to the comments that we were receiving when we gathered feedback broadly, um, you'd think that it was the worst thing that anyone had ever done or, uh, you know, that it was an effort that was was going to fail because we didn't have the buy-in. But as we started to reach out and get a deeper sense of the sentiments of the network and really approach people one-on-one and approach people that we knew were supportive of the effort, we got a much better feeling for the feedback and the sentiment. And it's been helpful to me to remember that you should, I mean, I... I am not at all suggesting that folks ignore negative feedback, um, more to say that uh, make sure that you're also speaking to the folks that uh, are positive or are supporters and that you're engaging them in the work as well um, and that you're lifting up, you know, a balanced perspective and not just listening to the loudest voices, but making sure that you're hearing from everyone. Hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, one other thing that I think has been really helpful for me, both in career and in life, is uh, is expressed, uh, again, here's my hippie new age side, <laughs> by this really great, uh, a piece of a really great poem by Adrienne Rich. Uh, and she says, there must be those among whom we can sit and weep and still be counted as warriors. So there must be people with whom we can be vulnerable, with whom we can be scared, uh, with whom we can express, you know, some of our our fears and our our uh, the things that we're intimidated by, and still be seen as as fierce and strong and brave, even in those moments. And I would say that both in my personal life and my professional life, having those friends and colleagues and people that uh, you know can lift you up and can remind you of those those great qualities that you have, the resilience, the strength, the courage, even in those moments when you don't entirely feel it yourself, has been uh, probably a turning point for me in overcoming a lot of, you know, the doubts or the insecurities or the anxiety you can feel about doing really great and, and daring things. So I would say that's probably been, you know, if I have to pick three big things, I think those are the three, um, you know, that, that I'm a human and I have limitations, 
that, you know, sometimes you have to go out of your way to connect with the folks who are supporters or to make sure that you're hearing a balanced perspective and, and gathering feedback. Uh, and then also having folks with whom you can be vulnerable and scared and who can, you know, kind of lift you up and, and help carry the baton of courage, even when you're feeling feeling some doubts. Well, I appreciate the the fact that you clearly took um, time and were very thoughtful and mindful about these answers. So thank you so much for that. And I think it's all great. Um, it is it is challenging and so important to embrace our humanity and certainly in an executive director or a CEO role. Um, I think a lot of the time we can get wrapped up in, in looking at sort of famous iconic figures and watching their interviews and reading their books and miss out on the fact that these are just people and even mm-hmm. though we don't get to interact with them so we don't get to see their humanity it's certainly there and you need to be very very careful that you're taking care of the human aspect of of, of yourself so i certainly appreciate that and yeah. to your point the squeaky wheel oftentimes does get the grease so you want to address oftentimes the loudest people but also need to make sure that you are you are talking to your supporters, even though they're not being as vocal as, as maybe we'd like them to be. So, and finally, yes, I, I can totally agree with you. You need to have close people around you that, that you can trust and be authentic with you and get great feedback from. So that's all great stuff. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that, you know, I was listening to your podcast this week, and I think you all do a really good job of surfacing some of those human stories of of leaders. And, you know, there are incredible people who are doing incredible things, and, you know, they still have to, like, drink water and eat three meals a day. (laughs) Right. And, you know, and oftentimes it is those little breaks that that are probably maybe the most important just to just just for level setting to kind of clear your head. So, So I appreciate that. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, YNPNs. Just tell us about kind of the group in general. I know that you're a nationwide group and you serve something like 50,000 members. But tell us about the mission and the vision and, and the impact that you're that you're having. Yes. So the Young Nonprofit Professionals Network, uh, more commonly known as YNPN, is a grassroots network of young people working in the social change sector. And our mission at YNPN is to activate emerging leaders who are doing social change work by connecting them with resources, people, and ideas. And our ultimate goal, what we envision is stronger communities that are supported by a social sector that is diverse and powerful. So we are asking folks in the nonprofit sector to help us solve some of our communities and and the world's most difficult in tractable problems, uh, problems like homelessness, uh, domestic violence, uh, educating our children and providing health care to our citizens and to ourselves. But we're often asking people to do this work without uh, very many resources. 
So we're asking them to address really difficult challenges. But unfortunately, due to kind of the economics of the nonprofit sector and and also, you know, the economics of how we choose to allocate resources, we, we are often not adequately resourcing those efforts. And so what we believe at YNPN is that the people that are doing this important work are worthy of investment. And so part of what we do at YNPN is we harness resources within our network. So the resources of the people who are doing this work to share their experiences with each other to be able to learn from each other, to have camaraderie and support. And then the other part of our work is advocating on the national level and the local level for changes in the nonprofit sector that will both help us get more resources and get them to the right places, but also help us do our work in a way that is maximally effective. Um, You know, Again, we are, you know, trying to make the world a better place for everyone. Uh, and to do work that'll make our community stronger and more just. And we know that there are a lot of resources available to do that, whether those are uh, the expertise of people, or when we say resources, we often mean dollars, which dollars are a part of it as well. But making sure that uh, those who are investing their professional lives in solving these difficult challenges have the support and the resources they need to be most effective. Because because these problems are too serious and too important for us not to do that. Amen. I certainly <laughs> I, I respect and appreciate that. It, it, it really makes sense to me um, the importance of having organizations working to address these major problems that, that, that you talked about at the local level. I, I hope that our government and large national groups of some kind are, are one day able to solve these problems, but it's harder. And I think that local groups are really well positioned to have the greatest impact. Now it's just a matter of getting them the resources that they need to actually follow through or make that impact happen. So um, where, where do you think that the biggest opportunity for impact is, is it, is it, is it mentorship of, of these young professionals? Is it helping them fundraise? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it depends, you know, I am someone who, uh, I'm trying to figure out the best entry point into, into answering this question. Uh, cause my answer is pretty big and broad and it's hard to break it down entirely, um, into like a tangible next step. But I would say that I think one of the challenges particularly that we see here in America is that uh, we have in some ways lost the sense of what it means to be in community and what it takes for communities to be successful and healthy. And by that, I mean the level of engagement from all of us as members of community, um, whether that's a geographic community or a workplace community or any type of community or gathering of people the healthiest and most successful communities are ones where people know why they're there. They know at what they can do to contribute and feel motivated to contribute and, and feel engaged and connected to the people around them. And I think in America, we've seen uh, a move away from that or, or people feeling like the work of community is not necessarily work that they either have the time or capacity to do because they are, you know, working in paid employment or just just trying to get by financially or because it's not something that they're interested in or drawn to. 
And so we've created structures and have started to approach both government and social change work as something that somebody else does, right? You know, we elect people to office and then they go manage the government. And we have these nonprofits who are doing this work in communities and, and they're the ones taking care of it. Um, but in doing that, we often, uh, one, don't supervise the people who are doing that work <laughs> to make sure that they're doing it well and, and in ways that align with our values. And then we also have the attitude or the hope that we can extract like maximum impact and maximum change with a minimum investment of money and resources. You know, and, and that's the way that we all hope things will work, right? Uh, we want to get more for less always. It's a very, it's a, it's a natural thing. Um, but I think that in general, one, one shift I'd really like to see us make um, as a culture and, and as we think about social change work and the work of community is one to see it as something that we are all a part of and that we all have both the opportunity and the responsibility to contribute to. And then also for us to just think about uh, what our values are and, and what are the things that we agree on as communities that we would like to see, uh, whether that is, you know, achieving a certain level of education for, for all of the children and people in our community, uh, providing, you know, minimizing poverty and homelessness within a community. Uh, and I know that that's a pretty lofty vision, right? Like, let's let's all, you know, like, get, get aligned around our values and like sing Kumbaya and, and be in community together. Um, and so I think that, to be honest, as I think about the nonprofit sector and, and the work that needs to be done, one of the skills that's going to be most valuable, particularly in a time when uh, it feels like America is very divided and polarized, is the ability to engage people in being in community, regardless of their political affiliation or their beliefs, but the, uh, but providing young professionals and those who are leading in their communities with the skills they need and the strategies that are effective in engaging people in doing this work and beginning to like have some of those community conversations around values and goals and social impact and, and what we want our communities to look and to feel like, uh, which is very nebulous, right? It's, it's, it's not necessarily as tangible as saying, you know, these are the specific fundraising skills that people need, although fundraising is a part of it. Sure. Uh, it's about thinking about how we as leaders and as people who want to see strong communities can engage other people in that vision and, and bring them along in being a part of that change. Well, I think that that's right. And I, I do, I, I believe that we are struggling a little bit or, or a lot with, like, like you said, sort of a, a lost sense of, of what it means to be a community. It seems like we're maybe one step removed from where we used to be. And I think that we both know that people support what they help to create and, mm -hmm. Without that, without those shared values or without that common belief in an ideal, um, we're never going to be able to be as effective as, as maybe we need to be. So I think that everything you said is, is definitely spot on. And, you know, it's certainly one of the responsibilities of leading an organization is setting that, 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 that vision and really setting the tone of here's really what we need to be address, addressing and working on. And to your point, I think a lot of the, the, the more detailed type things will certainly be a part of it, but you need to set the agenda first. So I think it's right for sure. So 
now if yeah. we can just if we can just figure that out <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i mean that's the thing is it's like it sounds very idealistic and it is very idealistic right to say that like we need to you know like the way to get to where we want to be is to to figure out how to be in community and to figure out how to how to have those conversations about shared values and and stepping back it, it it at times feels like, oh my gosh, how will we ever, how can we ever possibly get everyone united around a similar set of shared values or uh, to be in community with each other? And I think the reality is, is it doesn't take everyone. It just takes a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are different types of, of missions and, and visions that will activate different people. Um, and I'm definitely someone who believes that, like, there is some kind of, there's some aspect of social change and community work that will engage everyone. And I think one of the critical roles of our, of our leaders today, particularly our social change leaders, is figuring out how to engage people in that work. And you'll never be able to engage everyone, but you can engage the people who uh, – there will be a, a large group of people who believe what you believe and with the right motivation and vision will join you in like making that social change happen. And so I think that a critical skill, one of the most critical skills for our leaders today is is being able to set that vision and get people engaged in a role to take action. I love it. <laughs> so this brings us perfectly to to our next question of knowing that the whole world would hear it. What what plea would you make? Yeah, I something that has been weighing on me lately, I would say maybe the last year or so, is the knowledge that we have, you know, globally and and here in the United States, the resources to to feed all of our people, to house them, to educate everyone, to provide health care for for everyone, uh, to provide good and meaningful work for all of our people. We have those resources. They exist. Uh, it is just that we choose every day as people, um, as, as, as a human race, we choose every day not to allocate our resources in that way. And so this, this is uh, similar to what I was saying about at the community level, being in alignment around our values. My plea would be that as we think about how we want uh, our policies, our policy environment to operate, as we think about how we want our communities to operate, that we think about specifically how we allocate our resources and what we want for ourselves and for the people that we're in community with. Um, And to think about how we allocate our resources and what we allocate them towards. And some of the structures that we have in place particularly economic structures, and how we organize our communities and our lives, and what are some of the frameworks that underlie those things. Um, My plea would just essentially be that um, we all be more conscious as we uh, are in community with other people and as we think about uh, our political decision-making and how we choose to vote and who we choose to support. It's just thinking about how that aligns with the kind of world that we want to see. Um, and, and what could be possible if we were to shift some of those frameworks and some of those structures. Um, I don't necessarily have a specific call to action other than to just be thoughtful about those things. And I think that in spending time and exploration, um, considering and thinking about those things that, that, that already is a critical step, um, and a critically important part of being in community with each other. Um, so I'd say that's, that's probably the plea that I would make the whole world to cure it, uh, to be thoughtful about our resource systems and our structures and the frameworks we have, 
that give order to our world, but also uh, can be oppressive. I love it. It is, uh, it is very fascinating how in a country such as ours, so many problems persist um, that seem like they might be solvable, but we haven't figured it out yet. So, so we, 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 we will continue working towards it. Um, well, Jamie, where can people learn more about you and YNPN? Yes, so they can visit our website at ynpn.org. And uh, we actually have, if folks are uh, going to be in the Indianapolis area or if you'd like to travel to join us, we actually have our big national convening coming up at the end of July, from July 29th to the 30th. We'll be bringing in around 400 young nonprofit professionals to the Indianapolis community uh, to talk about some of these issues and to strategize about how we can uh, do the work of social change in our communities. So if you'd like to join us in Indianapolis, we'd love to have you there. Um, You can also follow along online. We'll be broadcasting portions of the conference online. And all of the information about that is at ynpn.org. Excellent. Well, on behalf of Centauri, who dropped off the call, so he says thank you very much. Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, thank you both. Um, and I, you know, working with Centauri has been great. It was very nice to meet you, George, as part of this. And thanks for the opportunity to do a little reflection and, and share some of my thinking and learning from the last few years of work. Well, excellent. And thank you so much for taking the time. And thanks, as always, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe to the show and share it with somebody who you think also benefit from learning about the good work that Jamie and YNPN are doing. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.